0: Hello friends and welcome to the Sermon's Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are excited that you are joining us as we enter into the season of Advent and make our way to the celebration of Jesus's birth. This Advent season, we are looking at Emmanuel and asking the question out loud that many of us are thinking, is God with us? You can join us here on our YouTube channel, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, our website, ccgf.org, as we explore this question, experience Advent, and look to God's word for his promises. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. 2020 has been a dark year. The isolation, the panic, the fear, all of that, more. I think a local high school's yearbook from back in May sums up very really well. We have a picture of it. It says, 2020, a year interrupted. That feels about right, right? A year interrupted. I mean, think about those high school graduates. Their, their celebration, their senior year was interrupted. Family milestones. There's a bunch of those kinds of things that weren't properly observed this year, interrupted. And we've talked about this one uh, several times, but it's worth mentioning again that those who have lost loved ones didn't have the opportunity to properly mourn the loss of their loved one. I think that's a great tragedy. Mourning death is hard enough. And then you can't have surround the surround of people around you. Very difficult. Plans have been interrupted. Your career plans, your business plans... Your plan's to have fun adventures, right? All interrupted. How are you coping with that? I don't think people, generally speaking, are are coping very well. If you were to read some of the data that's out there about how people are feeling in the midst of this dark year, you'll find that depression is up. Anxiety is up. I just read a, a news report this morning that said in Japan... There were more suicides during the month of October than all of the COVID deaths during the pandemic in their country. Anxiety, depression, all, all that's skyrocketing right now. A dark year. And it's not just that, there, there are people who are confused, people are distressed. And I think people around the world are asking questions, you know, among believers. People who trust in, in Jesus, people who believe in God. I think there's the question of where is all this going? What's, gonna, what, what's this all leading to? You ever wonder that? If you flip the other side, I, I think that those who, who don't have faith, people who would say they, they don't believe in God, th- those people would say, and you're telling me that there's a God? How can God exist? In the darkness of 2020, with all of this raging in the world. By the way, if, if you're one of those people who is struggling with faith, or maybe would say that you don't have faith, I'm glad that you're listening today. Glad you're here. Glad that you're with us online. And I hope that you'll stick it through throughout this whole message. Perhaps God's word will have something to say to you today. I think generally people around the world Are asking this question is God really with us in the midst of all that's happening the panic the despair is God really with us and I don't think that we are the first people to ask that question in fact if you go all the way back to the Old Testament we're gonna learn about a people today who I believe had to be asking similar questions So, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah during the next three weeks. We're going to be specifically in Isaiah chapter 9. Some of you reach for your Bibles, love it. And Isaiah chapter 9 contains a prophecy. Now, interesting, we mentioned those who struggle with faith. Maybe some of your questions are related to the the Bible, the scriptures. I want to show you something as we get into Isaiah, just to give you a sense of the historicity of the book of of, of Isaiah, of the Bible. There was a tremendous archaeological discovery just a couple of years ago, it's the seal of the prophet Isaiah. We have a picture of this to show you. I mean, of the past decade, this is one of the most profound archaeological finds. It's incredible. This is basically the signature of the prophet Isaiah. It exists. It was found right along artifacts with King Hezekiah. It's amazing. And so for those of you who doubt wonder about, okay, is this, was there even a person named Isaiah? Oh, yeah. He lived 2,700 years ago plus. real figure but here's the incredible thing about the bible though these are ancient words they have meaning for us today What we're going to look at here has incredible meaning for us it's a prophecy and and the thing that i would tell you about a prophecy is this you tend to think of prophecy you tend to think about the future Well, well biblical prophecy sees behind the present that's important biblical prophecy sees behind the present And yeah, in this case, it also sees into the distant future. Let's go to Isaiah 9 as we consider these times, as we consider this year, 2020, the darkness of it, the distress, the confusion, all these things. Let's go to the word of God, Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to be looking at two verses here in Isaiah 9 this morning. Let's read again what Malachi just read for us. Uh, a few moments ago. Thank you for that, Malachi. It's great to have you leading us in worship. Isaiah 9, chapter 1. Verse 1, rather. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So let's talk about, first of all, Naphtali and also Zebulun. Okay, so these might be unusual names for you. You might be wondering who these people were. Have you ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? Many of you have heard of the 12 tribes. Well, Zebulun and Naphtali were two of those tribes. And they had territories. We have a map here to show you. Check this out. Okay, this is this is ancient Israel, and the 12 tribes had territory. You see number two and three on that map? Well, that's where Naphtali and Zebulun resided in those territories. The people of those tribes lived in those places. Now, during these times, by the way, that later became Samaria. You may have heard of the Samaritans if you're familiar with the Bible. Those two territories would eventually become Samaria. Well, in 735 BC, we're going back a long way here, 735 BC, the Assyrian conquest of those territories took place under the leadership of a guy named Tigrath Pileser. And that guy led people through the territories, a path of destruction. He drove across the heart of of Naphtali and Zebulun, and he attacked major cities. And when he did that, people became exiled. They were taken away, swept away. You talk about confusion and distress. The people of Naphtali and Zebulun, We're swept away into exile. You think 2020 is a dark year? Well, let me tell you about 735 BC. I'm sure those people thought that was a dark time. And I can't imagine that Jewish people, people who served the God of Israel, weren't asking the same kind of question we're talking about today Is God really with us? In the midst of all this, we're experiencing loss. We've been driven from our homes. Our cities are destroyed. Is God with us? Well, you'll notice here in the text, there's this little phrase. It says, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Let's talk about that humiliation, that, that humbling. It actually goes back to this Assyrian conquest that we're talking about in this moment. And I would suggest to you that that conquest that took place, this humbling that the scriptures are speaking of, is actually represented of of the judgment on these territories, on Zebulun and Naphtali for their sins. The reason that I'm suggesting that to you is if you go to 2 Kings 17, write that down, go to 2 Kings 17, you'll see how God spells it out for them that their sins were leading up to this kind of judgment on them. Now, if you're like me, when I consider things like this, if I consider the judgment of God, if I consider people who experienced a humbling like this, I have to ask myself the question in light of 2020, are we experiencing a judgment from God? You ever consider that question? I mean, regardless of your political affiliation or, or your, your socioeconomic status, or your race, or whatever it might be. I, I think we, we have to look at our country and look back and say, what have we become as a people? What, what have we become? What's happening here? And that leads to the inevitable question, which is, can we escape judgment? If Naphtali and Zebulun experience this kind of judgment because of their sin, can we escape judgment? I mean, in the back of my mind, I've wondered during 2020 if this isn't the beginning of a reckoning. I'm not trying to be gloom and doom on you, but, if, but just a matter of fact, right? I, I've woken up in the middle of the night and thought, well, what's happening? Did that happen to you during the course of 2020? I know it has. I've talked to several of you, we've lost sleep. I think about my kids. I don't have grandkids yet, but I think about someday that I may have grandkids. What, what kind of nation? What's it going to be like in the years to come? Is this a judgment? These people here were experiencing judgment. They were being humbled by God. And you know what this results in? What the Bible calls here gloom and distress. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. They were experiencing gloom, darkness, heaviness. They were experiencing distress. There are some translations that say that they were experiencing anguish. That's a pretty strong word. And I think we have a clue as to why they were experiencing this gloom and this darkness and this anguish, all these things. And it actually goes back to chapter eight. Remember we've talked about when you read the scriptures, whatever passage you're reading, read around it. Read what before, came, comes before it. What, read what comes after it. If you look at, at just the chapter before in verse eight, I think we have a clue as to why the residents of Naphtali and Zebulun were experiencing this, this gloom and this distress. Look, I'm going to pick up in verse 19 of verse, of chapter 8. The scripture says, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Consult God's instruction." In the testimony of warning, if anyone does not speak according to this work, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. And then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Darkness. So here's what's happening among these people: the conventional wisdom of the day, and what we're reading here in the scriptures, argued for the seeking of spirits of the dead in order to address the problems of the living. So they would turn to ghosts, essentially, in order to figure out their problems in the present. This is how they were they were behaving instead of turning to the Lord. I mean, these are people who had. The testimony, the law of Moses. These are people who had the prophecy of Isaiah, his words. And what are they doing? They're turning to ghosts, dead things, things that don't have any life. Now, I wonder again, how are we coping? Are we turning to living things or are we turning to dead things? Look, more stats for you uh, alcohol, alcohol consumption during 2020? Way up. Marijuana consumption during 2020? way up. What do people do when they're facing darkness, when you're facing the chaos, the the confusion and distress of 2020? Well, we turn to the media, of course. News outlets. We've been eating that stuff up as a people, as a nation. Or how about social media? Talk about spiritists, what the Bible calls it, and mediums. We turn to social media. And we, and we post away to our hearts are content. And we feed on all the, the junk that's a part of social media. Look, let's be honest. We, even as Christians, find ourselves turning to things that aren't the Lord. In fact, there's some reports out there that people this year were, were putting up Christmas lights earlier than ever. In fact, they said after Halloween, some people, are, I see some heads nodding. Christmas lights were going up earlier than ever this year. We actually have a, a picture of one of the homes in our area. I want you to check this out. You recognize that one? And, and we have a photo of, of the guys who was putting up, while he's getting his lights, we got a photo of him. There he is. And we have a photo of his friend also who was helping him. People are putting their Christmas lights up earlier. And why are we doing that? You know what I think? Hey, I could control something here. There's a lot of things I control around me. But by golly, I'm going to have my Christmas. And I'm going to put those lights up early this year. I'm going to get some Christmas cheer going here, right? You know, we want, we, want, we, we want light. I think what people really want is they want light. Why are they putting their lights up? Because it's dark. And what are we searching for? What are we groping for? Light. I would suggest to you that the conventional wisdom of the day is to turn also to empty things. Maybe we're not turning to ghosts, but there's all sorts of vices and media and traditions, as as Malachi pointed out to us up here, that we turn to that ultimately are empty. Things that will provide no lasting peace. That's what we turn to in the midst of this. Well, here's an idea. What if we turn to the Lord instead? What if we turn to the Lord? I'm talking to believers here. Look, we have the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. Why would we turn to anything else when we experience darkness, when we experience chaos, confusion, distress? Why would we turn anywhere else? And I'm speaking to myself here too. Other than God's Word and through prayer, seeking Him in the Spirit and saying, God, help me, give me peace. Help me to see Lord in these days. Help me to see you. If you're, if you're not a believer, I would suggest that you try this. Pick up a Bible, R- read the book of John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament. I say, turn to the Lord. find His wisdom. These Israelites, once again, they had the laws of Moses. They had the prophecies of even Isaiah. And what did they do, they turn to ghosts. Don't turn to ghosts, we turn to the Lord. Listen, waiting and hoping in the Lord don't occur among dead things. Media, vices, all that junk. No, they happen and they occur among the living. And what's living? God's word is living and breathing. We have the very spirit of God in us. And so we turn to the Lord. Not dead things, but we turn to living things. I believe that these Israelites, Zebulun, Naphtali, the reason they're experiencing such gloom and distress is because they turned away from God. And so I say to us as a people, let's turn to the Lord. Now let's go back to the the main text, Isaiah 9. I, I read the first half of verse 1. I want to read the second half to you and also verse 2. Something interesting happens here. Picking up on the second half of verse 1. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So he said, hey, right now it's gloom, it's distress. He's humbled Zebulun and Naphtali. But he says, look, in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so all of a sudden, the mood changes here. Isaiah goes from from preaching about, hey, here's what's happened. You've been humbled because of your sin. You're experiencing this deep darkness, this distress, this gloom. But, but, there's a day coming when something different's going to happen. He he recognizes the bitterness of the moment. And in chapter 9, he reminds them of the hope based on God's intervention in the future. The emphasis is on the hope that at a later time can can be a reversal of the fortunes for these stricken people. And actually, we see a direct connection to this in the life of Jesus, in the Gospels. So I want you to turn there with me. We're going to go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. And in Matthew 4, we see some amazing words here that are directly connected to this prophecy that we're reading in Isaiah 9. Now we're going 750 plus years later. And here's what we find here in Matthew chapter 4 about the life of Jesus. Picking up in chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. What we're reading right now, 9, chapter 9 of Isaiah, to fulfill that, it says, and this is a direct quote, essentially, of what we're reading today, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living." in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this is powerful. This is incredible, okay? So Matthew 4 here, a direct reflection of the prophecy we're reading from Isaiah in chapter 9. And it talks about how Zebulun and Naphtali would be areas especially honored by the ministry of Jesus. Now, you'll see they're referred to this, these areas as Galilee of the Gentiles. In chapter 9 of Isaiah, in our translation we're reading today, it's the Galilee of the nations, I think is what it says. But the, the closer translation is Galilee of the Gentiles. And the reason it's called Galilee of the Gentiles, and this is great news for us, is because this area became a place that was mixed In terms of population. There were Jews there and there were Gentiles there. And the residents were common people, fishermen, carpenters, tradesmen, farmers. These are the kind of people that lived in this area. Now, we all know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But did you know that his city, it's called his own city, was Capernaum. That is the city Capernaum, that Jesus calls own, kind of like we call Pittsburgh our city. Capernaum was Jesus' own city. And this is significant because where is Capernaum located? In Naphtali and Zebulun. In that northern kingdom region, that's where Jesus settled. And there's some incredible things that happened in this area. This was the center, this area. Capernaum, this was the center of his ministry in Galilee. Jesus performed more miracles... In those areas, Naphtali, Zebulun, than any other area. Jesus preached more sermons in these areas than any other place. In fact, we have a picture from from archaeology again. This is incredible. We should take a trip here, a road trip. This is in Capernaum, okay? And this is the synagogue, the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum. You See that wall on the left? That's the original wall of the synagogue where Jesus would have preached is that amazing? You, again, you, you think the Bible's made up, you think this stuff didn't really happen, there are ruins, there's archaeological evidence, there's, there are ruins that exist that we could go to, we should do it, um, that are there, and you can go and see these places. Isn't that amazing? Jesus preached more in Capernaum than any other place. Not only that, he chose several of his disciples. He, he, he drew them from these areas, Peter and Andrew. In fact, we know that Jesus stayed at Peter's house in Capernaum. It's where he hung out. It's where he crashed when he was there preaching. He also found James and John in this region. He found Matthew in this region. Capernaum is incredibly important to the ministry of Jesus, and it's a fulfillment of a prophecy that we read in Isaiah 9. Is your mind blown by this? It's incredible what we see in the word of God. And here's the thing. Jesus set up camp in a place that had previously been devastated. I mean, yeah, a long time ago, you would say, no, no. no." This had effects up until that time, 750 years plus later. Jesus set up camp in a place that had, historically speaking, been devastated. And what does he do? He preaches. He teaches. He heals. He goes in there and he brings life. Into a place that once was hopeless and, and really lost in their own sin even. The hope of God shows up. You know, this is why, as a church, we're committed to being people who are bringing the light and the love of Jesus to this broken world. This is why, for instance, we had the the trucks filled with food this week and gave out boxes of food to those who who need food in this season during this dark year of 2020. Did you know we gave out 1,008 boxes of food in under three hours this past Tuesday? It was incredible. What a, thing, what a move of God to be a part of We're so grateful. Thank you to those who come and serve. We're going to do it again on December, tw- December 8th. We can't wait to do this. What a, what a powerful thing. This week, I, wrote a, I, I signed a, a large check for us to give money towards that orphanage in Cambodia. Why do we do that? Yes, this is your money. You give this money. Why do we do this? Because we want to be a part of the ongoing mission of Jesus. Jesus, who goes into broken places. Jesus, who goes into places where there's no hope, he shows up in the scene. He speaks life into these things. Hey, another thing we're gonna do, next time we give out those boxes of food, we wanna give away Bibles with them. We think to give people not only physical food, but spiritual food would be a powerful thing. Our friend Denny Denny Patton uh, has developed a Bible called the Family Wins Bible. We wanna give away those Bibles. I have several thousand dollars that have been given to this project already. By the way, you can give to this project. If you want to give buy a Bible for someone, you can do that. Write write us a check. Put food truck Bibles in the memo. You can give online. You can help us give the Word of God to people when we give them food. And why do we do these things? Because this is the ministry of Jesus, and we're called to be an ongoing part of it. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. I love that Jesus goes directly to the pain points where there's hunger, where there's sickness. Where there's darkness, where there's confusion, where there's distress, Jesus goes directly to the pain points, and what does he do? He brings hope. This is the message of Christmas. This is the message for you. This is the message for me. This is the message for us. This is who Jesus is. Now, i got to point something out to you in this passage. There's this this little bit here in in verse 1 that says that, that um, in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. It says in the future, he will honor. There's a nuance that you wouldn't pick up on unless you're reading this scripture out of Hebrew. You see, in the Hebrew translation or in the original language, the verb that's used there where we have he will honor should be translated into what's known as the present, perfect, continuous state okay the congregation of the verb it should be in the present perfect continuous state now let me tell you about the present perfect continuous i have a little graphic here to show you about this okay the present perfect continuous is a relatively unique verb tense and it it, it, it points to action that began in the past goes through the present and continues on to the future it's an, it's an interesting verb tense in that it's not really common. Only 0.7% of all verbs in speech represent the present perfect continuous congregation of a verb, right? I have examples. I'll give you a Christmas example, okay? To help maybe give you a way of fleshing this out and what it sounds like in real life. So here you go. This is, a, this is from one of our favorite Christmas movies. Buddy the Elf. "...has been working in Santa's workshop since he was a baby." Don't you love that picture? Buddy the elf has been working in Santa's workshop since he was a baby. This is the, the present, perfect, continuous uh, verb, verb tense, okay? Now, you might be wondering, who cares? <laughs> Why are you giving us this grammar lesson in the middle of this message? Well, this is important to understanding the essence of this prophecy. Don't miss this, okay? Okay? You say, who cares? Well, I'll tell you who cares. When it says he will honor, this is indicating hope for those who lived 2,700 years ago. Those who are living in the aftermath of of the invasions of their homes. It also has hope for those who lived 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ showed up on the scene. And here's the important part. Because it's present, perfect, continuous, it also has meaning and hope For those of us who live today, it's powerful. Do you see this? And so when we see this language, there's a message that God is speaking to us. The message is an appeal to hope that has future implications, that things have to get better and that the future will actually not only do that, it will rectify the bad times of the past. So how can we place our hope in anything else The hope that's given to these people who experienced terrible things, they were exiled. The hope that they're pointed to is the hope of Jesus, the Messiah. The hope that we have is the hope of Jesus, the Messiah. Are you confused and distressed? Well, don't be. We can find hope even in 2020, in the midst of this darkness, in Jesus Christ alone. And I'll give you an action step for this. It's right there at the end of Matthew 4. We're kind of flipping back and forth. At the end of Matthew 4, You know the translation that we've shown on the screens earlier, Jesus says this. After all this information about the prophecy, his concluding remarks are, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I want to show you in the the message uh, paraphrase, not translation, but the message paraphrase. I don't go to this often, but I think it's helpful here. Listen to what the message paraphrase reads for... Matthew 4 17 it says this Isaiah prophesied sermon this is passage in, in Isaiah 9 we're reading this Isaiah prophesied sermon came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching he picked up where John John the Baptist left off and here's what he says change your life God's kingdom is near it's here change your life I like that repent go in a new direction repent turn around and move towards where god is change your life how do you change your life by turning towards god and so the message here for us is is no doubt there is a baby who was born in bethlehem and he grew up and he lived in capernaum And, and he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords trust in him you got the 2020 blues okay the hope is that we have jesus And there's nothing else that could ever bring us peace or hope that's real other than him. So we're in this. Come on. The Lord is powerful. So, So we're in this season we call Advent. And I worked up a little definition I want to share with you of Advent. Okay, Maybe this will help you kind of put this season. You wonder, what's Advent? Why do we talk about this? Well, Advent is the season... When we have been preparing our hearts for the arrival of hope through Jesus Christ. I purposely wrote this in the present, perfect, continuous uh, verb tense, all right? Because this isn't something we did last year. Advent's not something we were preparing ourselves for once in the past and it's over. No, no. We're continuously preparing our hearts for the arrival. And by the way, he's going to come again. The arrival of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings. That's what Advent is. It's not something we did once upon a time. No, we are constantly in the process of preparing our hearts. We have been preparing our hearts for the arrival of hope through Jesus Christ. I want to share with you probably what I would consider to be one of my favorite Christmas carols. And I would suggest that this could be our Christmas carol theme for the Advent season of 2020. It's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I think that the words of this carol speak powerfully to what we're reading in Isaiah chapter 9 today and who Jesus is. Listen to the words. I know they're familiar. Let me read these to you. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. Until the Son of God appear. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. You ever think about that song in that capacity? That it's speaking to people who are in darkness, who are in despair, who are confused, who are distressed. And it says, no, rejoice. Jesus, Emmanuel is coming. You know, we we read about Emmanuel. You might wonder where that comes from. It actually also comes from the, the book of Isaiah. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 7, just a few pages before chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we, you, will call him Emmanuel. And if you flick back to Matthew... Chapter 1, verse 23, you get that same verse, that same prophecy quoted, but also a translation. Listen to what Matthew 1, 23 says. Emmanuel, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. You know, this year, 2020, one will never forget. Dark. Confusing, distressing. But listen, Advent hope, Advent hope is meant to be lived out in the context of the Lord's hidden face and our confusion and distress. Let me say it again in a different way, okay? You ever feel like you can't see God? You ever wonder, God, where are you? God, if you're real, how can this be happening? God, are you with us? Well, in the midst of that, This Advent hope becomes real. This is where the rubber hits the road. Advent hope is actually most powerful when things are darkest, when you're confused and when you're distressed and when you can't see God. That's when we're meant to live out the hope of Christmas, which we're reading about today here in Isaiah chapter nine. It's fulfilled in Matthew chapter four. Do you get it? Are you with me on this? And so look, is this easy? Is it easy to live out that kind of Advent hope? No, it's not easy. God with us there's no question 2,700 years ago there were a people walking in darkness and you know what today there are people walking in darkness and we can all they could find hope and we can find hope through the light of Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem hung out in Capernaum that was his place and he lived a life that represents a light to those who are living in dark times. I want to close with one more stanza of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Great words. This is, I'm telling you, this should be our theme. This should be our Christmas carol for 2020. The other stanza that I want to read to you says, O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Let's pray. O Lord, we do thank you for Emmanuel, God with us, that even, Lord, when we can't see your face, even when you feel and seem to be hidden from us, when we're in distress and when we're confused, when we experience a year like 2020, that we can take comfort, we can take hope in the fact that Emmanuel, God with us, has come and will once again return. I pray, Lord, that the hope of Emmanuel, God with us, would be applied to every heart during this season of Advent, that the hope of Jesus, his arrival, his peace, his hope, would touch our hearts in such a way that it gives us joy, even in the midst of a dark year. Oh Lord, strengthen us all. Whether we've come into this time today with great faith or if we're struggling, limping through, I pray, Lord, that we would all turn to you in these times to nothing else and find true peace and true hope. God, we pray all this in the name of the one, Jesus Christ, who is our peace, who is our hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.